This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 226, Toolbox Episode, Three Biases That Sabotage Your Finances, and One Weird Habit to Find Real Wealth in 2022. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious. Be stable. Be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey there, Not Your Average Financial Revolutionaries. I am so glad to be with you on today's episode. Now, if there's one thing I've learned over almost a decade now of working in this business and meeting with thousands of couples, individuals, business owners all across the country, I've learned that everyone has different attitudes about money. If you think about it, if you think about the people in your life, the archetypes begin to emerge. Some people love to spend on the things that they want, and other people will only give you a nickel when you pry it from their cold, dead fingers. You probably know someone who's diligently socking away money for retirement and somebody else who's constantly making risky trades. But alongside these intentional money habits that you might have, uh, you're also carrying some unconscious biases that are going to affect your financial decision-making in 2022 and beyond. These biases are likely costing you money. And this is according to a recent finance study by Morningstar. Nearly 1,200 people participated in a survey and 98% of them, 98% exhibited at least one or more financial bias. That's 98% of Americans that have at least one money bias, according to that research, and it's costing them big time. I wonder if you would consider yourself among the 98%. Here are just some of the biases that were uncovered in this study by Morningstar. One was the present bias. This is the tendency to prize immediate rewards over long-term goals. Somebody with this bias might overpay for goods and services that bring them gratification right now and neglect to put some money away for retirement. That's present bias. Another was base rate neglect. This is the tendency to judge the probability of something happening based on new, easily accessible information while ignoring the old news, the original assumptions. Investors tend to overreact when they get new information about a stock, for for example, often overselling based on bad news or piling on based on good news. This is the base rate neglect. Or maybe loss aversion is your cup of tea. This is the tendency to be overly fearful of financial losses relative to any gains you might expect. An investor who's displaying this behavior might hesitate to sell a flailing stock because they're afraid to realize that loss. They just don't want to admit that they've lost. While an otherwise investor might be more willing to reinvest more into a company on the cheap. That's loss aversion just not wanting to recognize the loss that you've maybe already incurred. And then finally, the study says confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the idea that people seek out information and data that confirms their pre-existing ideas. They tend to ignore contrary information. Now, the confirmation bias can be very dangerous as a cognitive bias in business, investing, heck, friendships, marriages, parenting. All of these biases have ramifications outside of the financial world. And we've talked in previous episodes about other psychological biases like the sunk cost fallacy, episode 108, 
and opportunity cost way back in episode 13. So check those out if this is your jam today. Uh, but the researchers from Morningstar found that low levels of bias generally went hand in hand with financial health. So the survey respondents with a low levels of these biases were three times as likely that as their peers to spend less than their income and seven times more likely to plan ahead for big goals in the future, like retirement. More biased respondents had worse results. People with high levels of base rate neglect or overconfidence bias were showing lower savings rates, checking balances than their peers. And those with high levels of loss aversion had lower 401k balances. But I want to spend most of my time today looking at three other biases that can have a profound impact on your finances, specifically as we get into 2022. First is overconfidence bias. Overconfidence bias is a tendency to hold a false and misleading assessment of our own skills, our own intellect, our own talent. In short, it's an egotistical belief that we're better than we actually are. Some people refer to this bias as the Lake Wobegon effect. Anybody here know the Lake Wobegon effect? I hope you do. Uh, in the 1980s, just up through last year, I learned a radio show called Prairie Home Companion was broadcasting live every single week. The setting of this show was a fictional city called Lake Wobegon. And Garrison Keeler, the host of the show, would say that Lake Wobegon was a place where, quote, all the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the children are above average. Now, one skill that comes up in financial planning is to realize that not everyone can be above average, okay? And when we talk about the Lake Wobegon effect, I see it first with driving. Not everyone can be above average, but in 1981, psychologists asked participants how they would rank themselves when it came to their driving ability. Well, guess what? 80% of participants put themselves in the top 30% of all drivers. You know, I don't have to be a CFP to know that that is impossible, right? This is obviously not going to reflect reality. It can be very dangerous to have a bias, and it's very prolific in behavioral finance, and especially on the stock market. A researcher named James Montier conducted a survey of 300 professional fund managers, asking if they believe themselves to be above average in their ability. And what do you know? Some 74% of fund managers responded in the affirmative, saying, 74% of them believed that they were above average at investing, and only 26% thought of themselves as average. Now, in short, virtually no one thought themselves below average. Again, this is a statistical impossibility, but results depend on picking the right stocks, funds, or money managers, right? Now, 80% of all mutual funds and 80% of all investment advisory services underperform the overall stock market over the long term. This is according to Hulbert Financial Digest. So 74% of fund managers think they're above average, but yet 80% of funds themselves, mutual funds and investment advisory services are actually below average, underperforming the market itself. If you want to call the market the average. Now, the best performing mutual fund of the past decade rose more than 18% annually, yet the typical investor in that fund lost 11% annually, according to the investment research firm Morningstar. Now, how is that possible? Well, by law, mutual funds can only advertise the buy and hold investors, even though all equity mutual funds are held only for about one to three years. So you literally have to hold on to it for 10 years but most people don't. They buy and sell. And Ray Dalio, who's the founder of the world's largest hedge fund, Bridgewater & Associates, has commented several times that being overconfident can lead to disastrous results. 
In fact, in an interview with Forbes, he attributed a significant amount of his own success to avoiding any overconfidence bias. Dalio states that he makes it a point to stay keenly aware of the possibility of his assessments being wrong. He says, and I quote, I knew that no matter how confident I was in making any single bet, I could still be wrong, end quote. Now, with that mindset, he always strives to consider worst case scenarios and take appropriate steps to minimize his risk of loss. So what can you do about overconfidence bias? The first I would suggest is to stay humble. Simply reminding yourself that this effect may in fact be playing into your perspective is key. You can set expectations, both with yourself and with others. Your idea of being above average may be very different from somebody else's idea of being, quote, above average in performance and driving in cooking on your investment portfolio. So communicate and get feedback as you're setting goals or assessing your own skills. Oftentimes, an outsider's perspective may really help show you where your skills lie. So the next big bias to watch out for is anchoring bias. Anchoring bias occurs when people rely too much on their pre-existing information or the first information that they find when they're making a decision. For example, if you see a t-shirt that costs $1,200, $1,200 t-shirt, and then you see a second t-shirt that costs hundred bucks, you're more prone to see that second t-shirt as affordable or cheap. Whereas if you'd merely seen the second t-shirt first, only priced at a whopping $100, you'd probably view that t-shirt as way expensive. The, the anchor, the first t-shirt you saw for 1200 bucks, was unduly influencing your opinion. Now, what does anchoring bias have to do with finance? Well, if I were to ask you what you think Apple's stock would be in three months, how would you approach it? Most people would start by saying, okay, well, wait a minute, what's the stock of Apple price at today? And then they'd base where the stock is today, they'd make an assumption about where it's gonna be in three months. Now that process is a form of anchoring bias. We're starting with today's price and building our sense of value based on that anchor. Now we can develop the tendency to focus on the anchor rather than the intrinsic value of the company or Apple in this case. And that is a risk. You know, it may be that the Apple's price is at an all-time high and it needs to come down. Who knows, right? So how do you guard against anchoring bias? Well, to start, there is no substitute for rigorous critical thinking. Try your best not to let the current news of the day, or even information that you might receive as being the be-all, end-all standard of truth. It's possible that Apple is the right price today, but it's also possible that it's overpriced today, or maybe it's cheap today. And the same goes true with purchasing a car or going on vacation or sending your kid to the right college. Don't let the anchoring bias fool you. You know, this is very often what's used in restaurants to get you to buy the most expensive wine. It's almost never sold on the wine menu. It's simply there as an anchor to get you to buy the second most expensive wine. No one wants to be the, the schmuck that gets the most expensive wine, but to get the second most expensive uh, is perceived of as luxurious. So that's oftentimes what happens. Restaurants will sell way more of the second most expensive wine bottle, and they'll just keep that most expensive wine bottle on there as an anchor. Third bias is the bandwagon effect. Now, the bandwagon effect is the tendency of people to take certain actions or arrive at a conclusion primarily because they're watching other people doing it too. This is a phenomenon that's seen in tons of fields, economics, politics, psychology, and financial markets. They're going to be no different. The bandwagon effect works through a self-reinforcing mechanism. It expands using positive feedback loops 
which can become stronger and stronger and stronger as more people join in the fun. So in economics, it's important to understand how the bandwagon effect is described because it has a huge impact on the world's economy. A well-known economist named Gary Becker from the University of Chicago said that the bandwagon effect is powerful enough to flip the demand curve to be upward sloping. And what this means in plain English is that typically a demand curve is downward sloping, which means as prices go up, the demand falls. If they started charging $1,200 for my t-shirts, I would stop buying them. However, the uh, economist points out that an upward slope simply implies that even when prices and sometimes because prices are rising, that forces more people to want it. It's not logical, but it's oftentimes what happens. Price bubbles often happen in financial markets where the price for a particularly popular stock keeps rising and rising and rising for no real reason. This could be in cryptocurrencies. It could be in the real estate market. The price goes beyond a point what could be warranted by the fundamentals. And it causes that security, that stock or real estate deal, to be highly overvalued. And this happens because many investors are lining up to buy just because they see other people in a line. You know, there's a quote of somebody in the old former Soviet Union who anytime this guy saw a line, he'd just go and stand in it. And someone said, well, what are we waiting for? What's this line for? And he says, I don't know. But anytime I see a line, I'm going to stand in it. That is the bandwagon effect, plain and simple. Sometimes this bandwagon effect has a big impact on initial public offerings or IPOs of companies. Once a company's stock price is announced, there's that anchoring bias right there. People often rush into it just because it's a brand new stock. The motivation for the rush is that stocks are seen as cheaper when they're first listed fresh. Uh, and it creates a demand that temporarily, anyway, drives the stock price up. However, when investors have really had time to gauge the stock's earnings, their enthusiasm is going to wane, they're going to find another squirrel to go chase, then the bandwagon effect recedes and the IPO price drops. Avoiding herd mentality and the bandwagon effect is fairly important, as you can tell, uh, if you're going to do your best in 2022. Investment decisions should always be based on data and logic. They are usually more dependable for intelligent investment decisions than the herd chasing the trends. While looking at herd trends can be important, you should really look at them for what others are believing and do the opposite. You know, it's, it's like the Mark Twain quote, when you're a part of the majority, it's time to think and reflect. Or as I heard elsewhere, if you're a part of the herd, you will get slaughtered. Ultimately, you're going to need to build on your research and your expertise and your experience and make smart decisions based on essential technical elements rather than just jumping on the bandwagon. Okay, so those are the three biases that sabotage your finances. But I also promised in the title of this episode, one weird habit to help you find real wealth in 2022. So let's jump into what that is. And really, it's the financial power of gratitude. Now, in this world right now, I want you to just think about your emotions for a moment. The concern, the anxiety, the stress that many people have felt and shared with me over the last year, really the last two years, has been just profound, impactful. Headlines in the news have impacted our family's health, our own health possibly, our finances, and then the job situation, income, savings, investing. What impact does fear and stress have on our decision-making? Well, there's a good reason for people to have fear and anxiety right now. Uh, and if you're feeling that, that's okay. It's valid to be having these emotions, especially in these troubling times. But where fear is miscalibrated, when it's too intense, or when it's combined with a lack of expert knowledge, it can lead to some problematic decisions and behaviors that lead to even more stress. Let me give you an example. When you feel fear, 
it makes every threat seem much more likely to happen, but it bleeds into other areas too. You know, this fear or this concern or anxiety will bleed into other areas of your relationships with your spouse or your kids. It might make you fear what's going on in the market to continue to go down or up, that it'll never come back to where it was before or never fall back down to where it's a reasonable price ever again. As an industry, the financial industry really tries its best to be portrayed as rational. And there are many different types of investing personalities. There are people who are just truly data focused, but I think they're probably the minority. And then there's many of us who are not data focused. In fact, we're more emotional. And I think as uh, among financial professionals, there's this sense of, oh, you know, let's just look at the data. Let's not let emotion play any role. But I think among a lot of the public, emotion certainly impacts our financial life. And especially when crises and shocks hit us in the daily or evening news, it puts everybody into a more emotional element. What fear does is it draws our attention and our time scale in very close, very tightly. And it brings our time scale down to the exact present moment. I think, honestly, that makes sense from a survival standpoint. When you're feeling fear and there's an immediate threat, you need to be very close and aware of your immediate surroundings. But our brains are not really supposed to be in an environment where long-term investing was ever a thing we had to worry about. Long-term savings, investing, retirement. And so narrowing that time focus that of fear gives us something that we can use to make a decision for the near term, sure, but it won't be appropriate for things that might happen over our longer time scale, over our entire lifetime. And as I've said before, you know, investing is really a long-term strategy and our emotions are not designed for, and our brains are not designed for long-term challenges. So you can typically get through anything if you know that it's going to end. And uncertainty clearly leads to greater anxiety. But one of the things we know about our emotions are that looking forward, things like gratitude, compassion, help us. Uh, what they do is they make individuals willing to sacrifice in the moment for future gains. If you've done something nice for me, the gratitude I feel for you will make me more likely to want to give you something nice in return over the long term and return those favors to you. If I have compassion for you, it makes me want to give you assistance. But we know from our own research is that you can also pivot these emotions to make you not only want to sacrifice for other people, but to sacrifice for your future self. So for example, when we work on gratitude, we ask individuals to take a few moments to think about what you're grateful for. In my conversations with clients, they'll begin to think about their long-term financial life, the things that they love, their family, their future. And what we see is that gratitude makes people more willing to accept short-term costs and long-term gains in your financial decisions. And honestly, I think that's what we all need right now. There's going to be volatility in your life, whether you're invested in the stock market or just your personal life, there's going to be curveballs. And to sit tight through those volatile moments, we have to have our mind focused on the long term. Same goes with compassion as well. I think if we cultivate emotions of compassion and gratitude, we can calm our stress that makes us more willing then to accept sacrifice for our future selves and sacrificing for those we love and care all around us to help our elderly neighbor. You know, these emotions help us do that, but they also help us have patience to write out difficult periods in our financial life for the better of our long-term financial well-being. You know, I'm grateful for my family right now. I'm grateful that I get to work 
in this particular industry and be able to serve clients all across the country. So how can we cultivate gratitude in, in our everyday life? Here are three tips. The first is simply engage in a daily gratitude reflection. Now, I know that sounds sort of vague or strange, but it really works. What I've found is that if you just take five minutes, you sit down and think about what in life you're grateful for, simply thinking about that brings an emotion to the surface. I noticed that when people do this, it makes them more willing to pay things forward, to go out and help other people, to help our future selves. It changes their investing decisions to make them more willing to accept short-term sacrifices and even take a loss for a long-term gain. I believe it helps people sleep better. It helps reduce your stress. The trick though, is to remember, we all have the three big things in life that we're grateful for, whatever those three things might be. So maybe it's just your own breath that you can be grateful for. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your family. The second thing to do in your family is to have what we call a reciprocity ring. That's where everyone gets together, something that you might need some help with. And then everybody else in the group also volunteers one thing that they are good at with their group. So again, this might be on your family's fridge or on a Facebook group or whatever, somewhere where it helps cultivate values of honor and gratitude and self-sacrifice for the larger community. And when you do this, it builds a sense of gratitude, reinforcing what you're there to do. You want to offer help and you need help to be able to keep moving things forward. The third thing I would say to do is meditation. Meditation was created not to help you complete your diet program or to get better standardized test scores. It was created to reduce suffering in the world. Reduce suffering, quite a goal. And what we know from research done is that when people meditate, after about three weeks, the daily compassion threshold starts to increase. And you're more willing to go out and help other people. You're more willing to accept sacrifice, which right now might mean taking care of somebody who is in dire needs or not fighting over toilet paper at the local grocery store. It also reduces your own anxiety. Now, right now, because of that fear we're feeling, it's making us notice all the bad things and obsessing about them, even to degrees that can become overwhelming. But again, emotions are valid. They're real. And as you get into 2022, I'd suggest finding gratitude using the practices I mentioned of uh, meditation, gratitude journal, and a reciprocity ring might be a key way to be able to help overcome the stress that you hear in the evening news or on your Facebook feed or whatever, and give you something that builds real resilience in the next coming year. I don't know what 2022 might bring, but I am hopeful. And I do believe that by having some of these practices instilled, installed, let's say, as an app in your heart and your brain, It'll help you not only make better financial decisions, but it'll give you better human relationships too. So again, some key takeaways to build gratitude into your life this 2022. The first would be to engage in a daily gratitude reflection journal for five minutes a day. That's all it takes. Keep that daily reflection journal going. Second would be to have gratitude conversations. What are you grateful for? What are just a few things that you can say to your people that you love about them that you're just truly grateful for? Third, meditate to achieve a greater sense of compassion and to reduce your overall anxiety. And finally, check your current fears. Watch out for near-term fear and focus on long-term goals instead. Now, I know that was sort of a deep dive today, guys, but I do believe that with a new year can bring a new you. And that is something that we start with, with our daily actions. So take something from this episode, explore the overconfidence bias, explore strategies of building gratitude into your life. 
and take this into your new year and start a practice today. You can uh, get started with the smallest, simplest step. And if I was to do one thing, I would suggest grab a post-it note and just write down three things you're grateful for and make a note to make this something that'll happen every day this week for seven days. Three to, three things you're thankful for. That's just 21 things over the course of an entire week. Uh, that's going to build some real gratitude pretty quick. So enjoy that little tip from us. And we hope you have a wonderful week as we get started with 2022. Happy New Year to everyone listening. And thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.